The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. March 29th. PFT PM back from Orlando had a fun few days in Orlando had a little bit of a panic on the way out the door in Orlando almost didn't make it home yesterday once we realized that something had happened to my wife's giant suitcase I should have realized something was wrong well something was wrong The zipper had been busted off, and there was just that one little piece of the zipper left. And I was able to unzip the bag, and thank God the bag didn't spontaneously bust open after the zipper had been busted off. But then when it was time to secure it, and it's one of those things where you get there, you unpack your stuff, you get to doing the things you go to do, and then three days later, when it's time to pack, all of a sudden, you remember for the first time in three days, oh shit, there's an issue with this luggage. And I thought, ah, we'll be fine. I know how to close this thing. I was able to open it. I should be able to close it. So the moment comes, literally. Getting ready to leave Orlando. The car is waiting. Got to get to the airport. Thank God I allowed extra time to get to the airport. Because as the time came to zip the luggage shut, the problem was it zipped. But behind it, Everything popped open. Isn't that an awful feeling when you have a jacket you really like and you zip it up and it zips up, but beneath it, it all comes undone? It's done. It's over. So in that moment, I thought, well, shit, we're staying in Orlando for another day. Better figure out where I'm going to do PFT Live on Thursday morning. And then I realized, well, we're staying at this hotel that has a bunch of gift shops. I had my wife call downstairs Gift shop has luggage. So I go down to get the luggage. And the only piece of luggage they have big enough is this giant freaking Mickey Mouse piece of luggage. So now I got a big piece of Mickey Mouse luggage I got to figure out what to do with. The people at Delta want me to fill out all these forms and jump through all these hoops to get reimbursed for the luggage they busted. And I eventually said to them, look. I got a frequent flyer deal. I'm in the Sky Club. I got 160,000 miles and they're going up all the time. If you want to take care of it, so be it. If you don't want to take care of it, so be it. I'm not going to spend three hours filling out paperwork for a freaking piece of luggage. So we'll see what they do. I'll keep you posted because I know you're concerned about that. And I never complain about travel. I can't say never because I am right now. I don't complain about flight delays. I don't complain about having to sit in the runway. I don't complain about People farting in the, you know, cabin because, hey, sometimes, I mean, what are you supposed to do? Some of us has have health conditions, but, but uh, this was, they busted the luggage. They busted it. And I should have realized when I opened the bag, I'm going to have a hard time closing the bag. And thank God that bag didn't bust open. That would have been bad if it had busted open once they busted the luggage. 
All right, so that was that was the most entertaining aspect of the time in Orlando. We did have a productive few days. I learned that Stats cuts his pancakes up entirely before he takes a single bite of any of them. And uh, hung out with Stats, hung out with Chris Sims, Matt Casey, who oversees Football Night in America and also PFT Live. He was there the whole time. He made sure everything was moving smoothly. We had fun. We had fun. It was hard work, but it was fun. I know, it's not work. I mean, it's as hard as my non-work work ever gets. Because all we do is type and talk and talk about football. And when the meetings adjourn on Tuesday afternoon and everyone that we've lined up, pretty much everyone we've lined up, is available all at the same time, that's when it gets a little hectic. That's when it gets a little stressful. But we worked them all through, 15 to 20 interviews, got to schmooze a little bit, hobnob a little bit, get snubbed by the people that don't like me. There were a few people that I always look forward to seeing at the league meetings. And some of my favorite people, nowhere to be found. And then some people in particular that I have no desire to see everywhere I turned, there they were. Everywhere. Bad penny phenomenon. Everywhere I went. Oh boy, there's that person again. And the person has the same feeling toward me, so it's not like I'm talking out of school here. Should the next next guessing game be which guy who hates me that I keep running into at the league meetings? I don't know, maybe. Let's get to some business here. I want to start with this helmet rule. I got a problem with this helmet rule. Here's my problem. Here's my problem. I don't like how this was handled. I don't like it. This may be the best rule the NFL has ever passed. This may be the thing that saves the game. This may be the thing that gets mom and dad, the little Jimmy and Joey, continue to play football. Because we're taking the head out of the game. The helmet's no longer going to be a weapon. It would have been nice if they'd have had this epiphany nine years ago when they realized, well, admitted something they had realized year before. Years before. Concussions are bad. It would have been nice if the helmet as a weapon thing would have been removed from the game a long time ago. What they did in 2013, they eliminated the ability to, outside the tackle box, ram an opponent with the top of your helmet. It's essentially spearing. It was already prohibited. But we would see these two helmets, tops of the helmets ramming together, and it was okay. That was taken out of the game. There were limited instances of it being called limited instances of it happening and now it's completely out of the game remember the play it was early 2012 season Trent Richardson put his helmet into Kurt Coleman did the rock'em sock'em robot thing the helmet went flying now anytime the helmet is dipped to initiate contact that's going to be a foul or an ejection or a suspension or a fine or nobody knows what the hell it is and here's what bothers me the most about it. Again, this may be the best rule the NFL's ever come up with. 97 years of existence, and they finally have cracked the code on what it's going to take to carry the game successfully into the remainder of this century and beyond. That's great. But the way they handled it, it stinks. Anytime that there is a deliberate effort to avoid transparency, to skirt debate, to avoid scrutiny makes me wonder what's really going on here. And that's what they did, plain and simple. 
10 proposals from the competition committee unveiled last week. This was proposal 11. What's proposal 11? I don't know. They only gave us 10. Well, there's an 11th proposal. Well, what is it? Something about lowering the helmet to initiate contact. That's now banned. Well, did the owners just decide to do this on their own? Nope. Competition committee proposed it. Well, when did they propose it? Well, I don't know. They knew what they were doing here. I've heard different theories and speculation about where this came from. This has lawyer fingerprints all over it. Although you don't need to have this rule for liability purposes. There's no way anyone can claim at this point that they don't know what they're getting into when they sign up to play professional football. There's never going to be a viable legal claim going forward that the league failed to disclose the risks or protect the players. When the concussion lawsuit was settled several years ago, the federal mediator, I think it was a judge or a retired judge who was involved in brokering the deal, in a sheet of frequently asked questions, addressed the reality that the settlement of this lawsuit would not potentially foreclose future lawsuits. The explanation was, at this point, everybody knows that concussions happen from playing football and that concussions are bad for you. No one can claim that the league did anything wrong moving forward. Everybody knows. So I think this is more about that vague, nagging, existential threat to football that comes from decreased participation in youth football. Because for the same reasons that PEDs stuck to baseball and no other sport, even though PEDs are being used in other sports. We've come to accept the fact that football players don't look that way and don't continue to be able to suit up and go out and play every week, every week, every week, every practice, every day without some sort of pharmacological enhancement. We just accept accept it. We assume it. The stigma applies to baseball. Football's stigma is the head injuries, even though there are head injuries in other sports. And other sports are far more brutal than football. So, I I think Jay Glazer told the story once of somebody coming to his MMA gym, a mom saying, I'm looking for a alternative to football for my son. And MMA was the, was the, oh God. So that's what the NFL is trying to get past. If that's what this is, okay. But here's the problem. You're going to trade one existential threat for another, depending upon how widespread this rule is. And I got two concerns in that regard. First, if it fundamentally changes the way football looks and feels, the NFL will turn off fans, and those fans will be ripe to be persuaded to follow an alternative football league that plays the game the way it used to be played. The old school football league. I probably should register that trademark. I've said it a few too many times in recent years. The old school football league. Dump, I don't know, whatever money that you didn't spend on buying the Carolina Panthers into this new league. Now, you'd have to be able to deal with the moral dilemma that comes from creating a sports league that embraces physicality that signs up players who willingly will subject themselves to head trauma 
and the risks of long-term cognitive problems and other health issues arising from it. You'd have to have no problem with that. You'd have to be willing to take on the risk because the NFL is not going to go away quietly. But one of these changes is going to set the stage for a competing league. Not a spring league, a fall league, a Sunday league. You can either watch what used to be football or you can watch what is football. Real football, big hits, high impact. And when you consider that, look at all the college programs. There are enough players to sustain I don't know how many. It's like it mushrooms every year. 250? I don't know how many there are. And then only a small percentage of those players make it to the NFL. There's plenty of other people who can play football. That was one of the arguments Charlie Ebersol made in unveiling the Alliance of American Football. Now, they are going to be safety conscious. I think they're trying to start a league that will become a developmental league that will be profitable by virtue of gambling, and then the NFL will come in and buy it. I think that's the end game there. The other approach is to say, NFL, you've gotten too soft. We're going to come up with a version of the sport that is like it was played back in the 80s. And that's one of the problems, one of the risks, one of the existential threats the NFL is assuming in addressing the decline in participation in youth football. The other problem is this. As gambling arrives, if, as many suspect, The U.S. Supreme Court scuttles the 1992 federal rule that prevents states like New Jersey and pretty much anyone else who didn't have sports betting in the window of 1976 to 1990. That's how they snuck through, and it's mainly Nevada and I don't know who else. Nevada. Once that ability to have sports wagering takes hold, the NFL is going to have this vague, ambiguous rule on the books. How are they going to enforce this? How are they going to ensure consistency? Because if you start having seemingly arbitrary instances of this flag being thrown, of that penalty being called, of a player being ejected, you're going to invite suspicion that something fishy is going on, that this is being used as a basis for controlling the outcome of a game. And... I'm a firm believer that the NFL does not attempt to control the outcome of games, but I also believe that under certain circumstances, it's at least, I don't want to say plausible. It's not ridiculous for someone to suggest that it's happening. It's not tinfoil hat, batshit crazy for someone to suggest it, even though I don't believe it happens, if that makes any sense, and it probably doesn't. We're going to learn more in May. I've, I've asked some folks what they think of it, and basically, we need to understand what they're talking about. We need to watch video examples of what's prohibited. We need to ask questions. So I get the impression that coaches and owners and others are withholding judgment because they want to have a chance to see what this entails. So there's the potential for a shitstorm in May. For now... A major change has happened. The NFL handled it in a way that creates inherent suspicion. Makes me think somebody's up to something. What a shock. Somebody at the league office up to something. Who knew that somebody at 345 Park Avenue may be up to something? And look, this is a prime example. 
Well, you hate the NFL. Why would you say that? You hate the NFL. No, I don't. I love the NFL. I'm in this business because I've loved the NFL since I was a little boy. I hold the stewards, the custodians of the shield to a higher standard. I think they should aspire to managing the sport in a better way than they do at times. And to create the impression that they're scared of criticism, that they want to avoid dissent, that they want to escape scrutiny over what could be a very significant rule change. Rich McKay, the chairman of the competition committee, has said it's a significant rule change. You, you can't run and hide. You can't. You can't play shell games with this rule. People in the media are smart enough. If I'm smart enough to catch it, others are smart enough to catch that they're up to something, or at least creates the impression they're up to something, which requires us to assume until proof to the contrary emerges that, wait for it, they're up to something. I've made a general invitation to the league office to give me anyone who would help us understand this rule. This podcast, PFT Live, it's not going to work for Friday, I'm told. And I said, hey, open invitation, any Monday through Friday, I'll make myself available whenever the right person is available. And if they're not afraid of the scrutiny, if they're not trying to silence dissent by preventing it from ever happening, by not letting anyone know exactly what in the hell is going on, if that's not an issue, give me somebody. And I'll be respectful. I treat every guest on this program like a guest in my home. That applies to everyone except stats. I treat every guest in my home well except stats. So we'll see if they if they do it. But I look, and I don't care if they get mad at me. I want to protect the game. And the way they've handled this rule so far, I think they're jeopardizing the game. So I'm I'm having an open mind on this, and that's what I'm trying to find out what the hell this rule is. Why did we not know about it before Tuesday? What is the rule? How will it be enforced? How will it be consistently applied? These are all things we need to know. And how in the world do you get players? We, we talk about muscle memory all the time with quarterbacks. When they're preparing for the draft, they start doing all these different mechanical things. And then when it's time to play, they do all the stuff they've always done. That instinctive reflexive dipping in the helmet. How do you get a guy to voluntarily stand there like a mannequin? And take a hit. It's not going to be easy. So I want to know what is prohibited. How it will be enforced. And how will coaches be expected. How can they be expected. To change behavior on the fly. Especially with limited. Off season work. Limited training camp work. Limited opportunities. To retrain a body. That after decades of playing football has gotten to the point where dropping that head and either delivering or defending. And I guess, I don't know, you're initiating contact. If you drop your head and you hit somebody who's initiated contact, if they both do it, I don't know. These are things we need to know. All right, what's next? And I guess this is kind of five down territory. If so, I spent 20 minutes on first down. Second down, my prediction that I posted on Twitter during PFT Live. The kickoff will be gone over under two and a half years. That's a given. It's done. 
And I think they made the changes that we've seen in recent years, the movement of the kickoff point from the 30 back to the 35, so these strong-legged kickers will be more likely to kick it into the end zone. You couple that with the touchback going from the 20 to the 25, there will be fewer kickoffs to the point where we've all been beaten down. That was Stats' attitude when we talked about it on PFT Live Thursday. Well, hell, they basically gutted the kickoff. Who cares if they take it away? See, if they just shown up one day and said we're taking the kickoff away at the time when they were kicking from the 30 and the touchback point was the 20, people would have lost their minds. Now, well, hell, kickoff is a wasted play anyway. Let's just go to break, come back, and put the ball at the 30 or the 25 or whatever they're going to do. Now, remember, whatever they do, there has to be a way for the team that scored to retain possession because if you're behind by more than a score late, you don't want the game to be over. Commissioner Goodell was asked four years ago, who do you root for? He said the team that's trailing. Well, if there's a team that's down by 20 points and they score a touchdown late, they have to have a way to keep the ball. That's why Greg Schiano's 4th and 15 idea makes the most sense if you're going to get rid of the kickoff. You get the ball 4th and 15 on your 30. You can punt. You can go for it, which would simulate the onside kick everyone knows is coming. Or you can run a fake punt anytime, which would be the simulation of the surprise onside kick and you know what we may like that better we don't like change we may like that better but that would be a big change that would affect roster construction there would be players who have certain skill sets that no longer would be needed by teams oh well you can either make one very small group of players irrelevant or they'll all be irrelevant if football ends up going away. The next thing after that, and I've got the over-under at five and a half years, the three-point stance. There was a time when John Madden was very vocal about getting rid of the three-point stance. That died down. I think that's next because they're always going to be looking for a way to make the game safer. They're never going to get to the point where they say the game is as safe as it can ever be. This is systematically evolving. And I think the evolution is going to become a revolution. I feel like the way they push this current rule through, we have to always now be on guard. And I hope I remember next year when it's time to go to the league meetings. Hey, what on on the conference call that they hold before the league meetings, after they've announced the proposals, and, and in fairness to them, they announced the proposals this year before the conference call, makes it easier to ask meaningful questions. One of the questions we have to ask, is there anything else you're not telling us about? Is there a Proposal 11 that we may not happen to have on our agenda? What are you hiding, Senator? So that's all fair game now. If they get offended by that, well, they created this situation where people now have to wonder what else is out there. So the three-point stance at any given time, at any given meeting, it could be gone. See you later, three-point stance. That's the kind of thing that fundamentally changes the way football looks. How do you have a running game if you can't dip your helmet to initiate contact and you don't have offensive linemen firing out of a three-point stance, helmet first. Football is going to change. And the question is, will we still love it when it does? So, I mean, I guess the way the NFL is looking at this, football can either diminish and go away over the course of the next 30 or 40 years, or it can be fundamentally different than it's always been, and with the advent of legalized gambling, maybe people make the adjustment. It, it morphs into a different sport. It's glorified two-hand touch, right? 
that's what it's going to become with a lot more knee injuries if people are going low instead of high now. I don't know about that part of it, though, but the game is going to change. And the question is, will someone out there with money to burn decide enough? I'm bringing back football the way it used to be. And when the XFL first returned, people got excited and I said, yeah, but fine. If you were given a chance to invest any of your money, what would you do? And most people said, well, shit, I'm not going to invest in that. It's, it's, it's going to fail. The one way that an alternative sports league could succeed is by embracing football the way it used to be. Get everyone to sign a waiver, do a single entity with no labor union to deal with, although you could still have a labor union. It would have to be an integrated entity so you don't have to worry about antitrust lawsuits even if you don't have a union. One entity, it owns all the teams, everyone signs a waiver, everyone knows the risks. If you don't want to play, don't sign up. If you don't want to risk concussions and the long-term consequences potentially of concussive and subconcussive trauma, don't play. There'll still be people lined up to play. And the fans will be there as well. And I think it would be a good investment. The question for me would be morally, would I feel okay about investing in and maintaining and running a league where the participants know that they're potentially going to set themselves up for for problems later in life. But anybody who has put money in the UFC, UFC is more brutal than even the old school football league would be. A couple of words on the catch rule. I think the main purpose of the changes we've seen, without getting into the weeds of what the new rule is, we've heard it by now, you can find it by now, we've been talking about it. They've changed element three to have a combined objective and subjective test. I think the end result here is to protect the catch rule from Al Riveron. Because I think it now is going to be infinitely harder for him to overturn a ruling on the field of catch. Because a catch happens with three feet down or reaching or extending the ball or having the ability to perform that football move. Well, if the official has determined in real time that the person who caught the ball had the ability and the standard is indisputable visual evidence, 50 drunks in a bar. How in the world do you overturn it? That was my biggest beef about the Des Bryant catch. The ruling on the field was catch. How is there indisputable visual evidence that he failed to catch the ball? That's what they're trying to get away from. And that, I think, was the impetus of the two touchdowns that weren't overturned in Super Bowl 52. I don't buy the idea that they came up with this rule on the fly or that they secretly had this rule and they used it in Super Bowl 52 before they actually promulgated it, although based upon the way they handled the helmet rule, who knows? Maybe they did. I think this was all about getting Al Riveron to stand down. Al Riveron did a poor job on multiple occasions, with applying the replay standard. And that may sound harsh, but it's true. And this new catch rule is aimed at ensuring that that doesn't happen again. We will see rulings of non-catch potentially overturned if, on replay review, it's clear and obvious the player got three steps down, or it's clear and obvious that he reached or lunged with the football after securing the catch. That can happen. And that will be easy to overturn. But here's the thing. If the visual evidence shows that he didn't get three feet down, but 
the subjective element, the ability to do so. That's key. So I think we will see few, if any, catches overturned. We still may see non-catches overturned. We'll see what happens now. The reality is in some of these, it's going to go from non-catch to being a fumble that was clearly recovered by the defense. And I don't know how that's going to work. I'm going to have to ask the league about this. How will replay work if the ruling on the field was non-catch? So player has the ball. Player gets hit. Ball comes out. Defense recovers. If the ruling is not catch, does overturning it make it catch fumble recovered by the defense? I'm going to have to ask that one. Somebody may have already addressed it, but I just thought of that now. And this whole Orlando thing, the hectic three days, there's stuff that I've missed, but that's an important question. I need to make a note to ask that question. Here, this is good. This is great podcasting. Ask question about non-catch, catch, fumble. Non-catch, catch, fumble. All right. Fourth down, a quick word about the Wonderlick test. This is every time. And I'll freely admit that there was a time in the life cycle of PFT where, you know, your goal is to get information other people don't have, information they don't want us to have. And the Wonderlick scores were part of it. And that all happened in 2006 when Vince Young got a six. And that was a big mess. Somebody contacted me. Hey, Vince Young got a six on the Wonderlick. Man, wow, six? Really? Turned out it was a seven. Then they let him take the test again. And in hindsight, I wish I hadn't done it. In hindsight, I wish I would have had the attitude then that I have now, which is, number one, there are plenty of reasons why a guy would have a low score from not knowing he's going to be tested to not caring he's going to be tested. There's no relevance, as I see it, between your score on the Wonderlick and your ability to play football. And the NFL, I think, has an obligation to these kids, ultimately, to secure these tests. And if they can secure the PSI readings from the post-deflategate spot checks and we'll never get those numbers, then they should be able to secure the Wonderlick scores. And if I'm a player, and they say you're going to take this test, and I've done my homework or someone's advised me, I mean, if it if it were my son or a family member or a friend, family friend, whatever, getting ready to go to the combine, and they'd say, hey, hey, you, 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 know, you follow this sport, you know what's going on, got any advice? Well, my advice would be don't take the Wonderlick test unless they can assure you that no one's going to see your scores outside of the people who have to see them. And they can't give you that assurance. So screw you, I'm not taking the test. Now you have to be a fairly good prospect to pull that off. This gets into my 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 fantasy of a guy who says, draft me or don't draft me. I'm not doing any of this shit. I've already played football for free for two or three or four years. If you want to draft me, my film's out there. If you don't want to draft me, don't draft me. Let your competitor draft me. This is kind of a corollary to that. But I think the NFL owes it to these players to secure these results. We will not traffic in the leaked Wonderlick results. I don't care how many clicks we're giving up because of it. We're not going to do it. We've evolved away from it. And I, I, I'm not, look, if others in the media want to do it, that's their business. Because there was a time when I thought it was the right thing for me to do. And it was wrong. But I'm not going to wag a finger at anybody who has done this. They do it, that's fine. You want to do that, good. Good for you. Good for you, Jack. I'm not going to do it. And I'm going to continue once a year when this issue happens, when I see that the numbers are out there, to remind everyone that for all the things the NFL does well, the one thing it does worse than anything else, well, I don't know. There are a few other things that it does pretty bad too. Let's say it's it's a tie for the one of the things it does worst, and that is securing 
these Wonderlick scores. And we know the NFL can do it if they want to because they've done it with those PSI numbers. Because you know, And you know why they've secured the PSI numbers. Because if we saw the PSI numbers that were generated through these spot checks on cold days, we'd realize that the numbers that were generated when they measured the Patriots' balls during the January 2015 AFC Championship game, those numbers would be in line with what we've already seen. With what we should see based upon the atmospheric conditions that were prevalent that day. Fifth down, and this relates to the Lamar Jackson Pro Day workout. I posted today that he needs an agent for a variety of reasons. And he may be hurt by not having an agent. Mike Freeman of Bleacher Report expanded on this. It's not just because Mike Mayock pointed out that teams are having a hard time lining up visits and workouts with Lamar Jackson. He's his agent and his mother's serving as, as his manager. And I don't know who you're supposed to contact if you want to work the guy out. If he has an agent, it's very easy. You contact the agent. It's not just that, though. You'll get some negative narratives out there about a player. And you need somebody to push back. Gary Richard, who died on the day the lockout started in 2011, was the most fierce and at times... At times, there was a, there was a, oh God, I wish I remember the details. 2005 draft. He was representing Pac-Man Jones. Antrell Roll was in that draft class. There was another defensive back that was in that top, top echelon. Because I think Roll entered as a corner and ended up being a safety. But Wishard was more relentless than any agent I'd ever seen in trying to get Pac-Man Jones drafted high, and he pulled it off. And there was some stuff that I think was maybe over the line, but he did what he had to do to protect his client and advance his client's interests. And if you are in that pit with agents who will do anything and everything, including some things that may be unscrupulous, to advance the interests of their client, that includes saying bad things and spreading negative information about someone else. You need someone there not just to push on your behalf. You need someone there to play defense when other agents are spreading lies about you. And Lamar Jackson has no one. He has no one making him look good. And as importantly, if not more importantly, he has no one ensuring that he doesn't look bad. And you get some of these crazy narratives out there now, the Josh Allen thing that Mel Kuyper tripped into where he said as to Josh Allen, completion percentage doesn't matter, but to Lamar Jackson, it does matter. It's this bizarre stumble by Kuyper, and it may just be that he's been hearing from whoever represents Josh Allen. I don't have it at the top of my top of my head, but Lamar Jackson, and it's not too late. He needs to hire an agent. He needs to hire an agent to shepherd him through these last few weeks. And whatever the percent is, one, two, three, the max is three, whatever it is, you, you need you need to ensure that this player's rights are being properly respected because there's got to be somebody out there who is drafting near the bottom around one who would love to see this guy slide down the board. And he's going to lose a shitload of money if it happens. And he may end up in a worse spot. If it happens. All right. Let's answer some questions before we wrap up this Thursday PFT PM podcast. Time to 
pop open the tweet as I speak slowly to find the specific question. Here it is. All right. At Sergio D, any chance you could get an interview with Kia Roberts? Not sure about that one. She's the one who left the league office. The one at the league office who was responsible for the Ezekiel Elliott investigation interviewed the accuser and concluded that Elliott should not be disciplined. Her opinions were ignored. They didn't make it to the final report. And there was some evidence that came out during the litigation suggesting that someone was playing a little bit of a shell game when it comes to keeping Robert's conclusions away from the commissioner. She's now gone. Clarence Hill of the Fort Worth Star-Telegram reported that earlier today. And Clarence reported that it had nothing to do with this incident, although I'm surprised she still stayed as long as she did, because that would be a pretty big deal. When you go through something like that, and even if she didn't leave directly because of it, I'd love to see the timeline as to when she either commenced or accelerated her efforts to find another job. Because I'd only put up with so much of that if I felt like my voice was being deliberately ignored to help engineer the outcome that the NFL wants. And as to the question of why Lisa Friel, who's the boss in charge of the investigations, is still there, you know, some have suggested she should be gone because she's been involved in a couple of bungled investigations. Bungled from whose perspective? See, I think Friel is there to make sure that everything from the the perspective of in-house investigations gets postured and presented and resolved in a way that meshes with what the NFL wants from a PR perspective. I don't believe that there's any integrity when it comes to this in-house judicial system. This is all about ensuring that the NFL doesn't get killed in the public eye and by the media for out handles or mishandles these player investigations. This is all about ensuring that there's never another Ray Rice. And as I've said time and again, and this was a hot topic as it related to Ezekiel Elliott, the American criminal justice system is founded on the idea that it's better for 10 guilty men to go free than one innocent person to be wrongfully imprisoned. The NFL's approach, I believe, it's better for 10 innocent players to be suspended than for one guilty player to possibly not be punished as much as he should be. Because when a guilty player is not punished as much as he should be punished, that's when the commissioner spends a week or two wondering whether or not he's going to lose his job. At I Lamarca, would you rather have the last seven picks of the third round or mid-round picks in rounds one through seven? Well, it depends upon the quality and the depth of the draft as determined by my crew of scouts. And if they think that there is a cluster of great talent in the third round, and then there's a huge drop-off after that, and that the rounds one and two aren't dramatically better than round three, then I'd rather have the last seven picks of round three. Depends on the broader pool of players in relation to one round, two round, three round, all the way down. And sometimes you have that. Sometimes you have a weak early part of the draft, then it spikes in the middle, and it tails off at the end. That's what you would need. You would need to to believe that when it's time to go with those seven picks at the bottom of round three. The players taken before aren't dramatically better, and the players taken after suck. That would be a reason to do it. At Leapers 500, it's very hard as a Broncos fan to believe this team can compete enough to make the playoffs. Is that too Sturm and Drang? What is Sturm and Drang? 
Am I that old that there's some term out there that I have no idea what it is that is hip? Sturm and Drang? Let me check this out now. Some more real-time entertainment for you while I Google. Maybe I should go to Urban Dictionary. Sturm and Drang. Here it is. Sturm and Drang meaning. Oh, God. A late 18th century German literary movement characterized by work containing rousing action and high emotionalism that often deal with the individual's revolt against society. My God, I have stepped through the looking glass. What in the hell has happened to me today? Okay. Look, I, I don't think the Broncos are going to be dramatically better this year. They were 5-11 and 11 last year, and I don't think they're going to be dramatically better. Now, will they have a losing record for consecutive seasons for the first time since 1971, 1972? I don't know about that, but I don't think they're going to be terribly better. And thank you, Leapers 500, for introducing me to the term Sturm and Drang and also giving me about 30 seconds of panic that I was using a, a very horribly dirty phrase. Next question. Also from Leapers 500, let's see if I learned some other obscure 18th century terms. Do a substantial number of owners loathe Jerry? Obviously with the legal fees thing, that smells of that, but is it stronger than that? I, I believe that more than a few owners are very pissed at Jerry Jones for how he conducted himself last year in the Ezekiel Elliott case and more importantly in the, in the push to prevent the commissioner from getting an extension. It's one thing to show up at a league meeting and make your views known strongly and aggressively and leave it at that. When you go beyond that wall, when you air out the dirty laundry publicly, when you cajole, as many owners believe he did, a key sponsor into calling out NFL leadership, that's when you've crossed the line. And it was building. It was coming. We reported last year in the wake of the March annual meeting that Jerry Jones got up and they had an owner's only session and Jones expressed concerns about all sorts of things. Why are we messing around with marijuana? Why are we messing around with internal investigations? Why do we pay the commissioner so much money? And he went on and on and on and on and on. And people have gotten to the point where I think it's gone beyond rolling their eyes. I think there is more of an open effort now to tell him to politely sit down and shut up. But he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way with how he's conducted himself at these meetings and also with what he's done to take his concerns public. So, yes, it's more than just the commissioner. There are owners who just don't like this guy and the way he's handled himself in recent years. At the Impact 99, is this year the Chargers actually make a big playoff run? I had them as a dark horse for their division last season and barely missed. Yeah, I, I wouldn't go to sleep on the Chargers. I could see them being very good this year, and I continue to believe they're one of the teams that should be at the front of the line for Odell Beckham Jr. If the Rams are thinking about getting him via trade, the Chargers already are far, falling very far behind the Rams in that in that chase for L.A., the fight for L.A., as, as the Chargers called it when they moved there last year. I would be pushing very aggressively to get Odell Beckham Jr. Trade Keenan Allen and or Mike Williams to the Giants as part of this package. Get Odell Beckham Jr. Keep him from going to the Rams and add that excitement to your team and worry about the football side of it later. Pay him whatever he wants. Get him on your team. You want that stadium to be full, both for now, for the next two years, and when they go to Inglewood. One way to do that, one way to be on par with the Rams in L.A., get Odell Beckham Jr. 
at the Impact 99. Do the Giants really believe they're not the third at best or fourth actual team in their division? I don't know what they believe. I mean, I've heard this argument. Well, should they build for the future or should they go all in to make a Super Bowl run? Super Bowl run? Are you kidding me? I, look, I, I fear that that it's going to be a very bad year for the Giants. I think earlier today, I think it was today on PFT Live, we did fill in the blanks. Which team is going to be the most interesting to follow this year? I think the Giants are going to be because there is that. And, and it's it's baked in arrogance over decades. The, the, you know, the Giants, they're, they're cut above other teams. And, you know, they're definitely the big brother to the Jets. And I... I you know, that rubs people the wrong way. If you're not a Giants fan and, and you deal with that kind of arrogance and attitude, that's, that's just not good. It gets people who are objective to say, okay, we'll sit back and watch you fail. A lot of people upset with how they handled Eli Manning last year. A lot of people still incredulous that they actually thought Ben McAdoo was a good choice to be the head coach. I like Dave Gettleman. Pat Shermer could be this generation's Norv Turner. A guy who's a great offensive coordinator but can't get it done as a head coach. We'll find out. We'll find out. At Leapers 500, if a player drops his hips, could he not then smack a player with his helmet without lowering his helmet? I mean, it's all about lowering the helmet to initiate contact. Now, I guess you could you could make yourself small by, you know, flexing your knees, but it's all about that helmet first. We still need to know exactly what kind of maneuver is going to draw a flag, so I don't know at this point. At V, what is this? Wvot29. Will you get your internet son PFT commenter's credentials for the NFL again? Considering PFT is a big J journalist, I, I've never gotten him credentials. I, I never have obtained credentials for him, and they won't credential him or Barstool Big Cat. They are persona non grata. I, I I interviewed them at the PFT set this year at the Super Bowl credentials were not required to get into the location and I know who they are and we brought them on and we talked to them. So they can't get into the other areas, the bigger events. If we had been in Radio Row, I guess they couldn't have gotten in. I don't know. But I look, I I think that the league, the, the league needs to figure out how to properly deal with Barstool because these guys are big enough now that the more you shun them, the more you feed into this vibe, into this agenda that they've they've created. And uh, you can either embrace the fact that this is an incredibly popular platform or you can continue to make them more popular by adding to this, this sense that they are renegades. At Brian Coons, have you noticed the recent increase in negative NFL reports from Sal Palantonio, Mortensen, and Shefty? Any relation to the ESPN losing TV deals? First of all, they haven't lost any TV deals yet. There's a belief that ESPN may not renew Monday Night Football and that ESPN may be out of the business of televising the NFL. I hadn't thought about this, though. You know, Shefty was was really making a big deal about the... The helmet rule. And and it was noticeable because he typically doesn't do that. I mean, Shefty is the king of the information robots who provides no analysis whatsoever, who will do everything he can to get a five-minute heads up on a transaction that's going to be announced anyway. And that's his niche. That's his role. And I was surprised that he was spending so much time banging the drum. And I've noticed recently he's tried to tweet some things that are more observational. 
how do I put this? He's not very good at that. And well, he's 50-51. I mean, if he had those skills, whether it's writing skills or observational skills or the ability to make an insightful remark or a funny remark, I think he would have developed that by now. Unless he's going to find a ghostwriter. Maybe that's what he needs to do. Peel off some of that money he's making at ESPN and hire somebody to write tweets for him that would be more insightful and entertaining than the ones he's currently posting. Is that mean-spirited? It's probably mean-spirited. He'd probably tell me to go, never mind. Uh, next, what do we got here? Where are we at here? At Leapers 500, has John Elway been too frugal in free agency and missed out on improving an aging team with talent walking out the door? I, I think he's been frugal in free agency pretty much with everyone except Peyton Manning. And even then, they eventually put the squeeze on Peyton Manning. Remember, they had him take a pay cut 2015. He earned that money back in incentives. But John Elway is a competitor to his core. During the season, there's really nothing he can do to help the team compete. During the offseason, the only way he can do it is to drive the hardest possible bargain, like the deal that he did with Russell Okung when Okung didn't have an agent. So, look, I, I, I don't know. They've won a championship. I feel right now they're in kind of a weird mode where I'm not quite sure what they have or where they're heading. And I don't, you know, if, if it was time right now to pick my playoff teams for 2018, I'm not sure the Broncos would be one of them. At Frankie Bass 18, why do you keep bringing up Kaepernick? Well, look, I wish people could set aside their own personal views of Colin Kaepernick and understand that this is a significant story for the National Football League. The way that he's been treated, the potential strength of his pending collusion grievance against the NFL, the fact that the ongoing shunning of Kaepernick only makes that grievance stronger. Collusion is not some magical word. You know, collusion was something we rarely even heard about until the election of 2016. Collusion is this vague word that implies something dirty and unseemly. I mean, basically, collusion happens. And I've been meaning to write this at PFT to give you an example of how collusion can happen in a way unrelated to Kaepernick. Anytime the NFL decides, either as the 32 teams come together or as the league office serves as the conduit to send a message to all of the 32 teams who follow along. Collusion just means coordination. These businesses, these 32 separate teams, are not supposed to be coordinating on anything. They're supposed to be 32 standalone businesses that are operated independently, that are working in competition, and the problem is the collusion runs rampant through the structure that is the NFL. And as it relates to how they deal with players, there should never be any coordination. And we see coordination from time to time. And we definitely see it as it relates to Colin Kaepernick. It's impossible that 32 independent organizations have made on their own a decision from a football standpoint that Colin Kaepernick should not be employed. And I believe that the text messages and emails that already have been uncovered in that case will bear out the idea that the league office was making it known that Colin Kaepernick is not good for business. And based upon the comments Bob McNair, the owner of the Texans, had on Sunday about the anthem controversy and how that's bad for business, I have a feeling that whatever he said during his deposition in Colin Kaepernick's grievance will help advance that theory of the case, that the league office is making it known that it's bad for business. So look, when guys like Brandon Whedon, who is completely unfit for this new offense they're installing in Houston, and guys like Mark Sanchez, 
who is not a simulation of Russell Wilson in Seattle, when those guys are getting jobs instead of Kaepernick and his name isn't even coming up and he can't even get a workout, can't even get a workout. All he got was a visit last year to Seattle and Baltimore was kind of interested. That's it. And and remember, there were some in the media who were pushing that stupid narrative that it's all about football. That narrative went away when Steve Bishotti finally admitted to a crowd of season ticket holders that it's more than football. And it was so funny to see this subtle shift, not so subtle shift, in the way Roger Goodell spoke about Colin Kaepernick. Well, these teams are going to make the best football decisions they can. Then all of a sudden it became, well, they're going to make the best decisions they can in the overall interest of the team. It's not a football decision. It never was a football decision. But the bullshit we were being fed last year was it's a football decision. To the point where, you know, I was, well, maybe it is a football decision. I don't know. I'm no scout. It's not a football decision. It never was a football decision. And it's only gotten worse because he's dared to sue the NFL. Chris Sims made that comment today on PFT Live. He said, you know, at one point during his career, he thought about filing a grievance against the NFL, given the manner in which his his spleen injury was handled and the way he was handled. And he realized if you do that, you may as well be prepared to never play in the NFL again. So that's part of the dilemma. And I, I don't... I, look... It's just funny to me how there are so many people out there who hate this guy, who react negatively to anything that is said about him, and who actively take pleasure in the fact that he's not employed. And I'll say about Kaepernick stories, what I'll say about any other story. If you don't like it, don't read it. We got plenty more. We got plenty more. All right, I got a few more questions I want to answer here. Let's see, what do we have? Uh... At Jason Schender, who were some unexpected first-team all-hotel bar members at this year's owners' meetings? You know, I can't disclose that information. I didn't notice anybody who was over-the-top drunk. You know what? If you're at an event like that, and when it's open bar, they, they pour. They, 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 they are not bashful. When you get Crown and Coke, it's crowned with a splash of Coke. I think if you don't notice who's drunk, that means you're the one who's trying to hold it all together. I was feeling good Monday night. I didn't overdo it. Because I'd get up at test. One of the beauties of having a, a show that's on at 6 a.m. every day, you, you, you cannot overindulge on a weeknight. You can't. Friday, Saturday is a different story. You can't on a weeknight. So uh, I did not notice anyone who was over the top inebriated and, and went to bed at 11. I didn't go to any of the after events that may have happened. Uh, so I don't know. At Sean Alvashar, would you agree there needs to be a sequel to Threat Level Midnight? No, God, no. Threat Level Midnight was horrible. That was a horrible episode. That was that was well after the jumping of the shark by the office. That was horrible. It was great as a table read when they found the script. When they actually made it into the movie, that was embarrassing. And I bet there are still people who are involved with that who, after the fact, think about it and cringe. That was embarrassing. As much as I love that show... The making of Threat Level Midnight was an embarrassment to the brand of The Office. Although I have seen they may do a revival or a reunion. Boy, I'd be in favor of that. As long as they they do nothing remotely close to turning Threat Level Midnight into an actual movie. At Luke Cashman, when's the last time a team with the highest paid quarterback won a Super Bowl? That's a good question. I don't know off the top of my head. But having the highest paid quarterback... you know, I mean, I guess when the Colts won in 2006... I would guess that Peyton Manning was the highest paid player at the time because he had signed his new contract in 2004. And the other great quarterback at the time, Tom Brady, he always took less. I I would say it was probably Peyton Manning 2006. 
at Adair 7, if you had to guess right now, who do the Broncos take at 5? I don't know because I don't know who the first four are going to be. Would they take Saquon Barkley if there is, if he's there at 5? Would they take Bradley Chubb if he's there at 5? Would they take Josh Allen if he's there at 5? I don't know. Uh, at Recliner QB, if this new rule about lowering the helmet is as significant as it could be, and another league pops up playing football the old way, will you start covering it too and live up to your pro football part of the name? Yes, I would. Absolutely, I would. Hey, profootballtalk.com. Not nfltalk.com, in part because they would have slapped me with a cease and desist letter because I'd be infringing on their trademark. That's why it's profootballtalk.com. I don't talk about the Canadian Football League. I could give two shits about the AFL, which is currently in a death spiral. But other leagues show up. When the UFL showed up, I paid attention. And we'll, 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 look, we have ways of determining whether or not people are reading the stories. We write some stories about the old school football league, and if people come to those and read those, then we'll write more. We give people what they want. You know, too many people in media try to give people what they think they should want. That's a mistake. That's how organizations fail. If your mission is to give people what you think they should want, (laughs) you think they're going to come get it? No, they're going to go get what they want. I try to give them what they want. So if they want coverage of the old school football league, they're getting coverage of the old school football league. We'll try it out. If they follow it, they're going to get it. At the future in HD, if the kickoff were to be taken out of games, would the same concern be shown on punts? I don't think so, because on punts, you don't have the two guys who are charging at each other at top speed and colliding in the middle. With the punt, you've got the gunner who has someone across from him, and they're hand fighting the whole way down the field. You don't have two guys racing toward each other, separated by 40 yards, and who reach top speed, and blast into each other going in opposite directions. So I don't think the punt is the same concern. And and again, if you don't make the kickoff this 4th and 15 play where you can punt, you can go for it, whatever, you're not going to have an adequate replacement for the kickoff. So I don't think the punt is going away. And I've never heard any complaints about punt returns. At Andrew Ye, why aren't players included on the competition committee? With owners, GMs, and coaches being on the committee, it seems like another example. The league antagonizing players, especially in light of the helmet rule. Also, is the helmet rule permanent or year-to-year? It's permanent. It's not an experimental rule, unless they're hiding that, too. It was unanimous, and I think it is permanent. Now, as to players being on the competition committee, they consult with players. They meet with players at the Combine, and I wrote something yesterday about how little the players knew about this helmet rule. But the competition committee is a league thing. And you're right, how they antagonize the players or make the players responsible. Like, here's this new rule and the players you're responsible for. What's our responsibility? Hey, we made the rule. Now you have to comply with it. So there is a chance for uh, problems there. At Alexandra Poirier, Manziel, second chance or not? Well, he's already had a second chance. question is, did he get his third chance? And I don't know at this point. Depends on what he does in the spring league. That's coming up April 7 and April 12. And then if no one gives him a chance, it depends on what happens in the CFL. At PN Staub, are you ever going to post an article worth reading? You know, you had a chance to come up with a really good burn. I mean, look, you, there, there was no time limit. There was no deadline. This was posted an hour ago. You had plenty of time to insult me. If you're going to insult me, I mean, re- really do it. I mean, that's a shitty insult. Oh, are you going to post an article worth reading? Come on, man. Do better. I, I can take it. 
am I going to post an article worth reading? I've been doing this 17 years. If there weren't articles worth reading, I don't think we would have made it 17 years. All right. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to end on this one. Because I remember this on Monday at Recliner QB. On Monday's PFT Live, Chris Sims said to Peter King, want me to get it up for you when he was raising, fixing his chair. How did you miss the perfect, that's what she said moment? Well, I didn't want to get anybody in any trouble. And that was one of those where the devil on the shoulder has to yield to the angel on the other shoulder. All right, I have to yield the time. It's been a full hour. Thank you. We'll do this again on Friday. Sorry we didn't do one Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. It was too difficult to do it when we were in uh, in Orlando. And you'll notice I said I didn't say it, it was too hard to do it in light of the conversation we just had. Have a great day. We'll do this Friday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.